And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on this program as we uh, begin to tell you about new paradigms for a new world, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We also podcast at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry. You know, that's a mouthful, and it takes a whole uh, full uh, set of lungs to do all of that. And we're also on websites that you folks are reposting us to. I have my tank of oxygen over here just in case. And we also are on YouTube, YouTube where you can see and hear both myself and my guest as we talk about the subjects that are near and dear to uh, uh, our hearts and minds and souls and bodies and psyches and what have you that make a difference in the world. And we hope that uh, you are enjoying these programs. And if you are and if it resonates with you and you can support us financially, that's the reason why we have PayPal and Patreon accounts, so that if you can do that, we gratefully appreciate that. You have no idea what it means to me when I receive uh, support. I, I mean... I had uh, somebody who sent me an email uh, enjoying the program and then said, I'll be sending you a donation. And then I just noticed in my PayPal account, he sent me 20 bucks. Thank you. $20 goes a long way. I mean, that sort of takes care of uh, maybe one month's uh, SoundCloud payment to make sure that I have enough room to make these interviews available to you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for supporting the work that we are doing here. We also ask you to become a part of the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s, where you can go within and spend that time, that glorious time, uh, being with yourself. I know that's kind of a strange thing to ask you to do, but you're with you all the time anyway, so why not get to know who you really are? I think our guest will, uh, will certainly... Uh, talk to us a little bit about that as well. So stay with us, continue to spend that time uh, in, within, go within, and be still, be quiet, be calm, get relaxed, regenerate, rejuvenate, uh, get inspired by the still small voice. And that's all I'm going to say about that, because now it's time for the main event on our program. We are going to unveil. Oh, wait a minute. That's the title of the book today. Unveiled. Past tense. It is uh, Don James' new release, which is now available literally worldwide. It's the autobiography of an awakened one. Ooh, I like that. Awakened one. Almost sounds a little extraterrestrial. The awakened one has arrived. And she is with us today. Don James, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Oh, Richard, thank you for that introduction. Ooh, I have arrived on at the right place, talking to the right man today. <laughs> well, thank you, and I with the right woman here today. Unveiled is the title of your autobiography. Uh, every time I see the word autobiography, I can't help but go back to my primer, Autobiography of a Yogi, uh, which is sort of where my search began, at least I will say officially, at about age 16, 17. Uh, and uh, here you are with Unveiled. Uh, wonderful work that people can investigate and check out and uh, learn more about you, learn more about the work that you are doing. Uh, talk to us a little bit about why you felt it was time, because, and again, this is just my observation, 
you're a young woman and you probably still have another half of a life to live. And usually autobiographies aren't, you know, they're incomplete. If I was to write it at the age of 20 or 30 or 40, I'm 60 and I still think it's still too early for me to write my autobiography. What was it that compelled you? Well, two things. First, looks are deceiving. I'm an old gal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm 60, so there you go. You don't have to Uh say. You don't have to say. (laughs) Oh, I won't say, but you're going to learn it when you read my autobiography. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my birthday, but um, I'm an old gal, a grandmom. And uh, one of the reasons I was compelled to write this story this year is I've been feeling a lot of people are waking up. A lot of people are waking up to the fact that the script, the dream, the story they inherited, they adopted, they were given, they were told over and over again is not working for them. A lot of people are waking up and feeling disillusioned. And because my journey from being a physical being to a spiritual being was so abrupt, you know, kind of felt like uh, last year when everything shut down, it was so abrupt and so intense and so WTF. I said, this might be the perfect (laughs) time to to share what it feels like to wake up to your life and realize what the bleep have I been doing most of my life. So this this autobiography is not just about my story. It's about the journey we all take of waking up and realizing what we really are and why we are really here. So that's that's why I wrote Unveiled this time. But you've been a conscious living teacher since 2003. You're talking almost 20 years, 18 years. I have been searching since I was in my late teens. So I'm 60, so that's 40-plus years. Uh, um, how does one know, and this is sort of the question to you, how does one know that one is awakened what does that mean so awaken i want to answer that in two parts there's awaken and then there's the stirring of waking up and the stirring of waking up is what i felt in 2002 when my life began to unravel the stirring some of the signs of stirring of waking up include things like you begin withdrawing from your day-to-day life or the things you valued no longer seem important. You start withdrawing away from your roles that you play, all the hats that we wear. It loses its shiny glow. And you start to pull away from the outer world and you begin to ask yourself a few questions or you begin to question your reality like I did. Is this all there is? Is this really what I'm supposed to do for the next 30 years? you know, work, pay tax, you know, eat, sleep, and that's it. So the stirrings of waking up can be this withdrawal from your day to day, um, changing your sense of value, changing even the people in your lives, you suddenly start pulling away. And I like what you said at the beginning, there is this pull to go in, to be with yourself, to ask yourself some tough questions. Some For some people, the stirring of waking up can also mean they start to feel the more subtle parts of life. They may become sensitive to energies. They may notice they're a little more intuitive. Their dreams may become more vivid, uh, more details, more like messages, if you will. So those are many ways we can feel the stirring of waking up. Definitely there's a shift in your mind space or your heart space, without a doubt. 
Waking up is an event, so that's a whole other ball game. <laughs> well, we 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 may talk about that too because um, uh, it's something that, as you say, people are feeling this restlessness, and um, and if that's the case, they want they want <laughs> they want to find out why they're feeling so restless and sort of resolve that because feeling restless is kind of a frustrating place to be because yeah. you don't know where you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to be doing. I, I've be honest with you, I felt that way sometimes when I walk into a room and I forget what the heck I came in here to do. And I know it was important. I know and it's like <clears throat> the same kind of thing where we're living, going through our life and we walk into one of life's rooms and we go, why, why did I come in here? You know, why am I doing this? Jo-? Like you said, why am I doing this job? And even in one of my previous interviews, one of my guests even poses this, this question, which, of course, is sort of the, the title to a song, or at least the lyric in a song. Is that all there is? Is that all there is to, and in this case, is that all there is to love? Um, but that's really kind of where I've been coming from, and I've been asking this question, and it's sort of based upon the ancient wisdom teachings that I have read over the years <clears throat> that tell us where we come from where we're going to and it's the one it's the singularity there is no dualism where we came from nor where we're going to but yet we live in this dualistic world but i've actually come to the realization that this is not a dualistic world this is just the way world this is just the way it is period it's neither good nor bad nor light nor dark it's like the sun comes up the sun goes down that's just the way it is it isn't dual it's just there are cycles, uh, there are spirals, maybe there are circles that we are, are in, that we get stuck in. Your thoughts in that regard, uh, do you feel the same way? I can tell you that um, this groove, I'm going to refer to it as the groove when you talk about a spiral. Okay, I like that. We, we adopt certain things, you know, I call it hand-me-down stuff through the generations. We're led to believe this is the path, this is what you do, you go here, you go there, you get this, you get that, you get the job. And so we get stuck in this groove, and the groove is so deeply ingrained in us. Mm. We do not even entertain the thought, hmm, maybe there's another groove I should go check out. So we become a bit passive. Um, conscious living is what, what I teach and conscious living, one of the principles of conscious living is to be aware and know or learn that you have choices and to make the best choice for you. If you don't know you have choices, what can you do? So, you know, you have to be a seeker, you have to investigate. So we, how do you get out of this groove? Usually it takes something traumatic or major or significant or profound to get you out of a groove. Um, Like I said, a lot of people are waking up because their identities have changed, their jobs, where they live, how they live, how they social, everything has changed instantly, very unsettling, very unnerving. So you're almost forced into this, I got to wake up. What am I here to do? How am I going to live the next umpteen years? Um, One of the things I've come to realize in my spiritual awakening, you always have a choice. You mentioned duality and I want to touch on that. For me, I literally, my heart stopped and I crossed over March of 2003 into the world 
of spirit, energy, light, and vibration. I became nothing. I felt everything. I was connected to every living thing on this planet. That feeling of oneness has never left me, mm. ever. And so I believe one of the, I guess, shifts that occurred for me, feeling connected to everybody is this woke up. My heart woke up and I became more compassionate to other human beings, animals, you name it. My heart woke up when I realized just how connected we really are. So for me, I, le I left here for almost 40 years and I got into this space in my heart. That was a huge shift for me. And this is what led me to do the work I'm doing today, which fills my heart and my soul. I used to have a career that filled my head and I got out of that space. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. It took me 18 months of soul searching, asking questions, journaling. Why did I come back? I wasn't happy being here. And what the bleep am I supposed to do now? 18 months of soul searching. So it didn't happen overnight, but we have to be able to be comfortable sitting with ourselves and beginning conversations with ourselves and allowing what I call that alignment, your higher self, God, nature, universe, whatever you call it, connect and get the clarity you need to move forward. That is a very, very, very important inner work you have to do. So it took me 18 months, but I did come to realize why I came back. So it's been a journey. One of the things you said <clears throat> is one of the, I guess we could call it taglines of this program. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And I have said this maybe hundreds of times. Matter of fact, I just did a <laughs> I just did a tally on my uh, on my computer of all of my interviews since 2007 and there are nearly 1200 interviews. Uh, and now that doesn't seem like an awful lot over the course of almost uh, 13 and a half years. Almost 14 years, actually. We celebrate our 14th anniversary in September of this year. <clears throat> and you, of course, your book, Unveiled, was released on that anniversary, uh, month anyway, uh, in, um, uh, in this, uh, of this year, of 2021. Um, but it's, it's all about this aspect of choices that we talk about. And when you say, uh, if you don't know and I say this all the time. If you don't know that you have choices, how are you going to choose them? Here in the United States, and I say that this way because you are coming to us all the way from Costa Rica, uh, Central America, or is it South America? I, 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 I haven't taken geography in a while. <laughs> Central. Central. Uh, but here in the States, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, there is uh, a learned lifestyle, if you will, uh, by uh, by the the uh, by the uh, uh, of color society uh, of color population in our society that is not entirely their fault because it's all they know and that is the entitlement programs and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that what I'm saying is that if that's all you know is to have more babies to get more money from the government to continue to survive then that's what you're going to choose until you learn or are shown that there are other choices. And I just use that as an example, 
trying to deflate some of the arguments by some people who like to criticize this particular segment of our population. I don't criticize uh, because, again, it's in many instances, it's all that some of these folks know. So until they are shown or given other choices to choose, uh, and I use this analogy, uh, Don, you're walking, you've lived in a community for, I don't know, 10, 12 years. You grew up. And one of the, uh, one of the paths that you have to take to get, let's just say, to the city, to the town where there's a grocery store, a library, or school, you have to travel this road. But every time you travel it, there's a heavy fog. And the only way that you can get to that town is by looking down at the side of the road where the white paint white, white painted line of the shoulder is that's how you get to the town one day you're walking along and suddenly the fog lifts and now you see a fork in the road ahead that you didn't even know existed right. now what are you going to do now no judgment of any kind here you can continue on down following that white line on the shoulder of the road to the town and do your thing, and that's fine. You can also say, you know what, I, I, I'm curious. What is that? I want to find out what that is. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go down that way. And obviously you're taking a risk because what happens if the fog settles back in again? Well, that's part of what making choices is all about. And that's also part of what I want you to address about listening to that still small voice, going within and following your intuition. Talk to us about that in terms of this aspect of choices. It, it is it is vital to do. Um, I, I'm going to get to that. I want to circle back to something you really uh, brought a memory back to me when you talked about you only know what you know. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a beautiful documentary called The Boys of Baraka. There were five or six black boys in the projects. I'm talking every day of the week, they were detained in, in, in the principal's office. And their parents agreed to have them do a program where they went away for four months overseas and studied school. When they left the projects and they went to this new environment, they were had more access to nature. They did not have their Xbox and all the gadgets those boys excelled in school, so much so that one of those black boys ended up with a scholarship to MIT. Wow. The same one at the beginning of the documentary that was constantly suspended ended up at MIT. What, do, what that tells you is you behave based on the confines, the paradigms, and the beliefs that you have in the circles that you're in. When you're given an opportunity to go into a new circle, new environment, open your mindset, who knows what you're capable of, what your real potential is. So I have met people that have never left their county, let alone their state. They are not doing themselves a great service because they have not explored and expanded their mindset to appreciate other parts of the world, their country, other cultures, all of it. You're actually limiting yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's how you don't know you have choices if you never go out of your comfort zone. You will never know truly your potential, I believe. That's been my journey. So going within is critical. 
Sometimes you need to go to a new space to wake up, not just go within, like those boys that left America mm -hmm. and went abroad, and all of a sudden they're excelling in school. Sometimes you do need to go to a new space. Um, the inner space is, for me, I, I discovered the power of journaling, the, the healing power of journaling. I discovered how many answers I had inside of me when I started journaling. It was highly transformational. I realized, I found answers, I got directions, everything was in me. And oddly enough, one of the first words that was whispered in my ears when I opened my eyes and came back here was all you need is within you. And that all you need is within you became my prayer, my mantra. It was my daily affirmation for years. When you realize you have all you need, you just need to connect with it. We're not socialized to go within. We are socialized to believe all knowledge is outside of us. That's a disservice to humanity. Mm. Go to school, learn, memorize, regurgitate, get that A. Mm -hmm. That is a disservice. You, I believe we're all here to eventually realize and accept and love all aspects of who we are, physically and spiritually. But you have to start the work to get connected to your spiritual self. And that's the work I've been teaching for the last 17 years. Honestly, Richard, when I woke up, I did not have the vocabulary to describe what I was experiencing. I had over 24 profound spiritual experiences after I woke up and I didn't have vocabulary to define it. And it would take me quite a long time to find others and feel comfortable reaching others to help me put a label to that thing that happened the other night, or I saw this and I heard this and I'm seeing these. And, you know, I, I, I didn't meditate. I didn't, I wasn't a religious person when I woke up. Um, I wasn't, they knew me. I was like three page to do list. I wasn't the girl that sat there <laughs> meditating 20 minutes a day. So I had to quickly understand what am I supposed to do with all these experiences and finding a way to be with yourself is vital because we are so full of knowledge and wisdom. We all came here fully loaded. We just need to reconnect to ourselves. That's been my journey. Don James is my guest, and she is the author of the latest work that she has released, Unveiled. It's her autobiography, autobiography of an awakened one. I, I actually I really like that. Uh, DonJames.ca for Canada. Don J, I believe. Oh, no, Costa Rica? .ca is, I'm a Canadian girl, born and raised. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. So DonJames.ca will be linked to your website as well so that people can uh, learn more about you and continue what I like to call their evolutionary process. <clears throat> we are talking about uh, a lot of work that you've done. You've also <clears throat> written... Uh, another book entitled Raise Your Vibration, Transform Your Life. It's a practical guide for attaining better health, vitality, and inner peace. And that was back um, 11, 11 years ago. I yes, was 50 sir. 11 years ago. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> and um, what I find interesting is this journey that we are all on. I mean, you have this new book, Awakening, Autobiography of an Awakened One, where you experience being blind. You've experienced this, being blind, deaf, mute, before the age of 10. And in your teens, you faced the fight 
of your life, uh, which uh, left you paralyzed from the waist down. Now, I can relate to one of those, and that was that I was born into this world legally blind. In other words, I had 2200 sight in my right eye, meaning I could see at 20 feet what most people could see at 200, 2400 in the left, and you obviously know the math. And in 1996, and it was interesting, you talk about March being a, an auspicious day, a month. March 6, 1996. I also am into numbers and patterns. I had a lens implant in my right eye, and I'm now driving. So I can relate to uh, the experience because obviously you in some way overcame the blindness, the deafness, the muteness, because here you are, you're looking at me, I'm looking at you, beautiful smiling face of yours, and that I'm trying to make out the picture behind you, the image behind you. Which is oh. quite wonderful. It actually gives you a halo. I like that. I love purple. Can you tell? I love I purple. I see that. Yes. And then, you of know, course. I used to love red before I woke up, and then I moved into the spiritual color of purple. Oh, yeah. Purple, <laughs> violet. I like cobalt blue myself. Uh, wonderful, uh, deep, rich blue. It just. I've also noticed, too, you talked earlier about uh, nature and these boys uh, uh, being exposed to nature. And one of the only colors I can think of that you can look at for a long period of time and turn away and not have some residual effect, like if you were looking at red or yellow or blue and you turn away and you still have like this halo of the opposite color, you don't get that with green. I have stared at green grass in the sunshine for 10, 15 minutes, just loving the, the feeling. Turn away and the, that that isn't there. You know, yeah. it's like there's nothing that's been burned onto the retina, as it were. Yes, I find that interesting, don't you? There's a reason for that. You know, it's a reason why the majority of this planet is green. The majority of the Earth is green. Green is, um, I've studied many things. Um you know, I'm a musician. I started playing piano at age eight, and I stu- I've studied many things. Color therapy is fascinating. Green, green is one of the most creative colors to look at. Green is very soothing. Green is healing, and it's just it's right in the middle, so you don't get that that residual effect, as yeah. you call it. And just looking at green actually helps stimulate our creative expression, our ability to create. It is a fabulous thing. For me, if I'm trying to sort something out in my mind, I do a lot of walking meditations. And, you know, by the time I go for an hour walking back and I'm out in nature, I mean, I'm I'm in the middle of a rainforest here. (laughs) I get the solution. I get the answer. I get the path. I get the I I figure out which way I'm going to go. It just comes to you. I think green, I think there's a reason why we're blessed with so much green on this planet. And we are supposed to connect with nature. That's part of who we are. One of the things that I've said, I'd love you to dovetail off of this in your observations. I've said this, again, hundreds of times. Nature is our greatest teacher. I totally agree. Nature, the closer, this is my little phrase, the closer we get to nature, natural light, natural air, natural water, the healthier we will be on all levels, physically and energetically. 
I have learned so much being in nature. Actually, in chapter six of my book, it's called The Tree by the River, and it explains a three-month period where I had stopped eating. And during those three months leading up to my crossing over, how I learned the magic and wisdom of nature, just being outside, paying attention to the sun, the rain, the smells, the sounds, understanding the interconnectedness of life without reading a book. <laughs> All of this wisdom we can get being in nature, it is fabulous. Another thing that I was guided to do is sun gazing, and I've been sun gazing since 2002. And without me knowing and understanding, one of the benefits of sun gazing is the sun is the primary source of energy, right? And it, you know, it, it touches everything on the planet. Food is a secondary source of energy. So without even understanding why I was sun gazing, those three months that I did not have an appetite, the sun replaced that energy that I was missing. And so quite naturally, I have experienced a lot of mental clarity. Um, I have a lot of creative energy, all from sun gazing. These are just some of the benefits we can get from nature. Take your shoes off. Touch the ground. Do you know how much, how much earth energy there is on the ground? There's actually studies now claiming that part of this chronic fatigue syndrome that we're experiencing is because we're not getting enough sunshine. We're not even touching the ground with our hands and our feet. Don't you miss being a little kid in the playground? Take off your shoes and run around. <laughs> you wonder why kids are happier than adults. Maybe we should take our shoes off and go playing in the sandbox. I'm well, just saying. <laughs> well, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, and the thing that I have learned over the years, especially when we talk about health and wellness, <clears throat> is that the greatest thing that a child can do, if a parent will just let them, is to go play in the dirt. My parents, uh, th that's what we did a lot of. We played in the dirt. Uh, my yeah. brother and I, Army men, we would dig tunnels. We would dig little caves and so forth. Obviously, to my father's consternation in regards to his yard, but he let us do it anyway. My mother, <clears throat> even when it was time for chores or we were being punished, uh, she would say, okay, you're going to go out and you're going to weed the garden. You're going to weed that lantana garden. Uh, and uh, you're going to get all the weeds out of there. And, of course, uh, my mother said that the uh, only tool you need are your hands, maybe a little shovel, possibly, and some elbow grease. And, of course, uh, not knowing what exactly what that was at the time, I was wondering where you got it, where you bought elbow grease. Well, you don't buy it. It's from working. And I love today, at the age of 60, 61 years of age, working and working with the soil, um, uh, my, my wife now has a greenhouse that she's just going crazy with, having a blast with. Uh, she actually, we, we got her one of these uh, Bluetooth speakers for her phone so she can listen to her music in the greenhouse that also will play for the plants. And they're yeah. just going nuts. I mean, it's just incredible. But they say that by playing in the dirt, you're actually doing something that's very healthy for you yeah. because of what's in the dirt. And there were times when we might eat the dirt. And, you know, you'd make a mud pie, especially if you're a real little kid and you want to eat the mud pie. You don't really want to do that. But that's how we fortify our immune systems by being outside. You said getting that sunshine. Absolutely. I mean, what what came out of the, the latest global situation was 
talking about, you know, the microbes and what we need and how we're interconnected and the interdependencies. And now they're like promoting outdoor schooling and get the kids outdoors and, you know, for many health benefits, but also it's healthier to be outside and it may actually help stimulate their retention to be outside. But yeah, definitely we cannot cut ourselves off for, from, from nature because we're part of nature. And when we do, I mean, honestly, you talk about the immune system. How healthy is it to be indoors in artificial light with artificial air, with zero contact with nature, no vitamin D, and covered in alcohol? <laughs> How healthy is that for your immune system? So, yeah, get outside. Uh, one of the things that I've been saying to people is I understand that at the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020, they said everybody's to stay home. They said stay home. They didn't say you couldn't go outside. And this was the thing that just boggled my mind. I mean, if you live in a high rise, you probably have a balcony and maybe they'll give you access to the roof, you know, so you can get some some sunlight. Um, there are ways. And this goes back to that issue of choices. This is it. And people misinterpreted that, yeah. I mean, to the letter where, you know, I had the funny, just quick funny story in Ontario, Canada, I think as of like February, there are no dogs to be adopted. Everybody went and got a dog because they thought that was the only way they can go outside was to have a pet. <laughs> there are no dogs available for adoption in Ontario, Canada. Everybody and their brother, sister, uncle has a dog because they thought, yeah, I got to get out two, three times a day. I got to walk the dog and I won't be harassed or whatever the case is. Right. <laughs> well, one of the things that I have found over the years um, is that it normally, usually, this is the statistic anyway, it takes about 30 days to establish, quote unquote, a habit in your life. Okay. Um, I remember struggling with this whole thing of, for example, brushing one's teeth and, oh, come on, I, I don't, I can't. And then, of course, I'm taking a high blood pressure med and, and so on and so forth. And it's like, oh, how am I going to do that? I, I, and it's like, wait a minute. It finally dawned on me. You are already in a routine because you have an alarm set. And then you get up and you feed the cats and you feed the dog. And you let the chickens out and you give them their food. Uh, and then you go through the process of maybe starting the laundry and doing the dishes in the sink. And this is in the morning before I even go into the bathroom to shower. If you can do all of those things, Richard... You can incorporate those other things into your routine. And I have. I think that's one of the uh, one of our uh, one of our interviewer uh, guests said that there's there's another kind of BS. All right. And it means the same thing, but it's different words. Our belief systems. And it's kind of what you were talking about before in terms of the stories that we have taken on the programming that we've taken on. How do we, what's the right word here? How do we overcome, rewrite, get rid of that BS? There, this is a multifaceted answer. Um, I have always been a curious person. I love learning. Not everybody is open to learning new things. I embrace change. Not everybody does. 
one of the things I did because I, when I had my spiritual experience and I mean, I changed everything changed in a day, my senses, my values, everything. And I had to quickly kind of not even integrate, just understand this. I went to the library and I got a couple of books because I was looking for the thing, the name of the thing that I was experiencing. I didn't know what out-of-body experience was. I, you said OBE, that didn't mean anything to me. I didn't know what the chakra system was. I didn't know what Kundalini was. I talked to a complete stranger describing something and she said, go look up the word Kundalini. So if you're not open to learning, you're gonna have a difficult time to get out of the old script. Mm. You gotta get out of your comfort zone. You have to be willing to learn something new. Um, and at the same time, don't be misguided. A lot of people run to other people. No. Seek knowledge, seek information, start flipping the page or swipe left, whatever you do, and start gathering some information for yourself. The most important, one of the most important skills we need as human beings is to discern. Oh, yes. You discern what is for you and what is not for you what is beneficial energy what is non-beneficial energy i've been teaching this now for almost 20 years one of the chapters i have in my first book is the vibration of food and i break it down what high frequency food looks like and what dead food looks like and i break it down if you don't start recognizing these things you're just going to keep living on autopilot right I, I would actually, when I woke up, you know, before I woke up, you, you run out of gas, you go to the little store and you get gas and you walk in the convenience store and you see chocolates and, um, you know, you see chips and you see this and that and you see the pop and the juice. Richard, when I woke up and I walked into that convenience store, I saw acid, sodium, fat and sugar. And there was nothing in that convenience store I wanted. My whole perception changed. And this is something that doesn't happen overnight. It only happens when you're conscious and you open your mind to the possibility. You know what? All this processed stuff actually isn't good for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just because it's wrapped in plastic doesn't mean I have to trust it. True, Right. yeah. So, wake up you know but i see people in the grocery store just grabbing and throwing stuff in they don't even look at the labels i read the labels because my body cannot handle garbage yeah. <laughs> so i'm very mindful of what i put in my body my ears my eyes all of it it is a journey seek knowledge seek information check out some books swipe left whatever you need to do but start to expand your mind and expand your circles I mm -hmm. suddenly met people who were energy practitioners. I worked with a Swami in Toronto for 12 months. We had great conversations about spirituality. I so valued those, those times I spent with Swami. Seek out new circles that will support you in your self-discovery. It is very important. And one of the most powerful things I learned at a very <laughs> mature age, almost 40, <laughs> Was, was uh, I'm right behind you. I'm right behind you, Richard. I'm just a, I'm just a step stepping stone behind you. Uh -huh. I heard I heard it. I'm I'm almost there. But one of the things I discovered was the magic and the healing power of journaling. I cannot tell you how amazing it is. And by the way, 
2003. This is my spirit journal. Everything that happened to me the first two years I came back is in here. Oh, wow. Every vision, every, every experience, awake or asleep, is in that book. And when I go back and I read that journal, I'm like, holy. That helps me write chapter seven. Chapter seven is basically the diary of the first year and a half I came back to life. Mm. Day by day, what I experienced, the 24 spiritual events. And I just want to circle back because some people will be saying, oh, how did you get over all these things? Um, for many years, I thought somebody up there didn't make me right. I thought they forgot a chromosome or some missing part. You know, it's like a puzzle, 500 piece puzzle and you're done and you only have like 496 pieces. This is what I thought. Somebody forgot a couple of parts up there. Um, my sight was impacted whenever I played piano, I was extremely shy, extremely nervous, very, very didn't want to be seen kind of kid. But here you are in the middle of a stage with 300 people looking at you and you're nine years old. So I had these intense emotional events that affected my vision. When I stopped playing piano 11 years later, I've never had that episode again. But usually the day of my recital, I wasn't able to see. So there was some emotional charge affecting my vision. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you can work yourself up so much that it can drop your temperature, you get a fever, you throw up. For me, it was my vision. This is what happened when I had to perform. Mm. Um, the other things that happened in my life, I explain in the book, um, there was a metaphysical um, spiritual phenomenon that affected my ability to walk. I explained that intensely in the book, I want people to know some things happen in life, not to you or for you, they just happen. But these major losses that I experienced were part of a bigger journey. And they helped me be more compassionate. I went on um, in my 40s to volunteer with a group of people um, who, who had been abused as children. And I worked with adults for five years. And I'll tell you, if I hadn't been through the traumas that I had been through as a kid, I don't think I would have been as in service and compassionate as I was with that group of people. So sometimes the journeys we take, the ebb and flow in life, you know, sometimes you go to got to go down in the valley to appreciate how high the mountain is. Mm -hmm. You understand? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For me, having had these losses, not being able to speak, Grief caused me to lose my voice. Grief caused me to have pneumonia. Grief wiped me out. <laughs> All of these losses were teaching me there was something else coming and there was something else I had to do. And so I was the kind of kid who never said I give up. I just said, okay, let me see what I can do with whatever's left for me to do. And I carried on. And so that's how I was raised as a child. It was about being resilient. You, you fall down seven, you get up eight, and you keep going. The day, one of the days I got ready for my recital and I couldn't see, and my mom said to me, what would you like to do? Do you wanna stay home or are you gonna go to the recital? I said, I'll go. And I just, she grabbed, I held her arm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. couldn't see we walked down the street I held onto her arm like my lifeline sat on that bus she guided me to where I needed to go and I performed it's like in those moments you have to reach for something bigger than yourself 
and say, I'm going to keep going. Regardless of what's thrown at me, I'm going to keep going. That's been my entire life in a minute, 26 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Owen. So you you have overcome numerous challenges in your life, especially at a young age. But the outer world continues to throw those challenges at all of us, uh, and you in particular, uh, not only because you are a woman, but you're also a woman of color. And the messages that are thrown out by, I'm going to put it this way, correct me if I'm wrong, Uh, uh, But the messages that are put out by those people and organizations and institutions that are not awake, okay, can start to wear a person down. Uh, Is is there a secret that you have found that uh, you can either A, protect yourself or uh, uh, deflect, so to speak, put up a certain kind of shield that says, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, What's that childhood phrase, uh, uh, you know, it's, it, it, that doesn't stick to me. I'm rubber, you're glue. It, it bounces off oh. me and sticks to you. <laughs> yep, I hear you. Well, first off, I want to say, you know, as an individual, um, being a black woman in Canada, this is where I had my experience. Um, it's a different experience than what I have seen from my colleagues and peers who live in other parts of the world, especially the United States. My experience is quite different from someone living in the US or Mm -hmm. someone living in Germany or France or Italy or South America. Um, As a black woman in Canada, I was, I did not experience barriers of entry into my career. As a matter of fact, I broke a lot of moles um, in the corporate world. Um, At the top of my career, I was a general manager of a construction company once upon a time when I wore suits. (laughs) And so I've never had those barriers imposed on me as a woman. Now, as a black male, yes, I think globally there are a lot of barriers and a lot of, um, um, you know, ignorance around that. But in terms of um, what I will say on this topic is one of the things that is important for anyone to do, regardless of where you're from, is to be fully aware and educated in the environment that you are living in. And when I say that, I mean you have to be very um, aware of how you navigate life in whatever cultural environment you're in. Um, I don't want to stress too much on some recent events, but there's been some significant events, um, particularly in the South to the U.S., which continues to perpetuate um, a lot of hatred towards people of color. And I don't know how those systems of racism will become dismantled, but there's a lot of work to be done. Mm -hmm. And I call it systems because there are systems within systems within systems, as you and I both know. Mm -hmm. And those systems were not created overnight. So it is going to take some time to dismantle those systems of racism. Um, But in the meantime, you know, it is important for, for people to be educated and aware on how to navigate those systems. So that's all I want to say on that topic. For me, I have been focused on educating people on conscious living, how to raise their frequency, which means 
how to elevate your physical and non-physical self to remain healthy. Um, the stronger and healthier we are physically and mentally and spiritually, we will be just fine. I do believe we have immense knowledge and wisdom within, mm -hmm. and we need to learn how to reconnect to that knowledge and wisdom within. Um, you know, you have to go within to be without. And quite literally, um, the ultimate for me is being in a state of equanimity. Equanimity means whether, you know, I could win the lottery tomorrow or my house burns down tomorrow. I am not going to change as a person. Mm -hmm. right? So to live in this world, but know that you're not of this world without attachment, not easy to do. No, but it can be attained. Um, I have walked this path for almost 20 years. I'm in service and that's all that matters. At the end of the day, as long as my heart keeps doing what it's supposed to do and I continue in service doing what I came back here to do, I know I will make a difference. And to me, making a difference to me is more important than what you have yeah. and what you collect and what you do. It's how are you making a difference? So just be mindful of that. How do you want to make a difference? How do you want to show up in this world? What ripple effect do you want to create? That to me is the bigger question. Yeah. To me, those are the questions we should be asking young people. Not what kind of paper do you want in a frame behind you on the wall? <laughs> I like what you've got, especially because it gives you a halo. That's a lovely halo you have. I wanted to share one quick thing on that and then we'll move on to uh, sound healing. Um, I watched a series with my wife, and I came in and out of the room because I was doing some other things, but I was able to hear what was happening. And this series, I believe it was on, uh, I think it was HBO Max, called Them, T-H-E-M. And it was about a black family, a husband, wife, and two daughters who moved into Compton, 1950. And Compton at that time was apparently, at least in this, and this apparently was uh, a Stephen King creation and Compton I, I don't watch TV okay. by the way. Well anyway, um, and it was all white. It was a white neighborhood. Well, the question that kept coming up as this family kept running into uh, you know this the, the attitude towards them by the whites in the community was this was the question that kept coming up to me. You are painting these folks with a broad paintbrush stroke. What do you really know about them? Not about the race, about them. And that's the one question that I would ask anybody. I loved this one photograph that I saw posted on LinkedIn of these dogs of all different breeds. And they said, we are all one species. Racism is stupid. And... But it, it keeps coming back to that whole thing. What do you know about them as an individual? Uh, and um, when we get to that point where we start to get to know one another, I mean, what we find out, and this is something that I have found out as I've done these interviews, you and I, Dawn, we have exactly the same emotions. Our stories are different, which is what makes us unique. But it's the fact that we share the same emotions that makes us the same. And that's 
I guess all I'm going to say on that, because I want to move on. If you, yeah. you want to add to that before we move on? Yeah, I think it's important to have these dialogues. One of the one of the good things I saw that came out of last year was having cross sections and, and culturally diverse people sit down together and have these conversations about diversity, inclusion, unlearning. I think it is fabulous. I think it's a great first step. Mm -hmm. And I do hope it continues. I hope it's not just the flavor of the year. Well, I'm going to do my part to keep the conversation going, Madir, because uh, we, I, I, I got to tell you, there are days when I just have absolutely no hope for the unit, for the, for the planet, in terms of its species, human race, uh, continuing. And then I even asked the question. I've, I've asked this question many times on this program of my guests, based upon the way that man has been inhuman to, uh, inhumane to his fellow man and woman and child. Do you really think that they deserve to continue as a species? And usually, without without any uh, refrain, they will usually say yes. We do, uh, and I just look at that going, okay. Well, then <laughs> let's start making some changes, please, because we can't go on like this for another thousand years. This is this is not right. We are we are killing ourselves, not just physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, uh, and it I just. I couldn't agree more. But however, one thing that I am seeing, and this is part of the Aquarian energy that started December mm -hmm. of 2020. The, one of the things Aquarian energy brings, now that it's in an earth sign, is mm -hmm. uh, community, collaboration, compassion. Um, more people, I mean, last June, what happened? Up to now, I haven't watched that video. Of that of that young man being um, killed in on camera, mm -hmm. um, but what I do remember seeing were people from all over the world, all religions, holding up signs saying, "No, no more. That's it." I think more and more people are against the things that you said, almost make us not human that yeah. we continue to do and more and more people are saying no no more this is stopping this has got to end so i think as as that critical mass continues to grow i do see a shifting i've already seen it i've seen so many amazingly wonderful programs and organizations and community change that's happened in the last 15 months on this planet it is unbelievable what's going on so i do hope it continues yeah it's wonderful we're talking with don james don james.ca is the website her latest book is unveiled it's autobiography of an awakened one and one of the subjects that we talk about on a regular basis on this program don is sound music tones vibration Love i it. mean it just it it and and i tell you what the subject is endless because everybody's got a different perspective. I myself, as a child, uh, I would use uh, my own vocal cords and my own moaning when I didn't feel good, especially if it was like the flu or something. I'd lay there in bed and, oh, you know, and I'd moan. And one of my sisters and my mother were in the room at the time, and she says, Mom, make him stop. And she says, no, that's how he heals himself. So she knew. But yes. I've also talked about this concept of, for example, the Mozart effect. 
which I did a little research on, and I was fascinating what I found on top of the other research I found that poo-pooed the whole thing. But my only question was, why Mozart? Why not Bach, Beethoven, Rachmaninoff, Tchaikovsky, etc., etc.? I used to belong to a classical music CD club back in the 80s. I still have all those CDs. Yeah, and I still love... I played classical for 11 years. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> well, and you, piano, classical piano? Yeah, 11 years. Oh, love my it. gosh. I think I took piano lessons in eighth grade for 12 months, and that's about the extent of my piano career. But I learned to play the piano, the violin, the baritone. Um, I want to learn how to play the baron, the Irish drum, uh, but... Um, uh, I don't play any of those, uh, but with my family and even in other gr groups, singing, vocalizing that instrument that I get to carry with me everywhere I go. But tell us about the type of sound healing that you do, you facilitate others healing as well, maybe as well as even your own. I am. Um... Again, when I woke up, um, because I had this deep compassion for others, I knew I was supposed to go into some arena of healing, but I wasn't sure which path to take. There's so many paths. And um, I had studied Reiki for a little bit. And the last day of our Reiki training, our teacher brought out this white bowl. And I wish I was in my other room. I, I have about 12 instruments in the other room. She brought out this beautiful white bowl and guess what? She started playing it. And in less than five minutes, Richard, I felt like I had fallen in love with the entire planet. And I said, whoa, what's in that bowl? She said, nothing. I said, no, 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 no. There's something about this bowl. Anyhow, that was my first introduction to the quartz crystal singing bowl. Oh. I have been playing it since 2003. My first wife and I uh, had one. I think she still has it, which I hope she does. Uh, oh, God, what a marvelous. I learned how to play it fairly well. I now have a brass uh, bowl uh, that my present wife and I use. And it's just, um, it is amazing the sounds that come out. And then, of course, there's uh, Jonathan Goldman. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Oh, we, yeah, no, we have a little, you know, there's a little sound healing club. We all know oh, each other. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, he has those tuning forks, you know. Yeah. Uh, every, there are so many different people that are involved in this. And I have even heard it said, and you may have experienced this, where if you can find, and there are a few places on the planet where you can find a place where there is almost total silence, you can hear the vibration or the hum of the earth. Oh, trust me. I've been there, done that. However, one thing I wanted to share is when you have an affinity for music like you do being a natural musician to me there's not even a, a thought of let me play this so when i started with this crystal singing bowls i then added the tibetan bowls i i love harmonizing because i've done theoretical and uh, practical music so i started harmonizing i specifically brought in different notes of the crystal bowls for different reasons depends what i'm doing with a group I work with groups because there's just something really magical about bringing people together and all of us being still and being silent enough to really be with ourselves. 
when a group comes together and I'm whole, I literally hold space for everyone in that room. When I start playing those crystal bowls, and you may or may not believe it, but I know it to be true, angels come in. Not one or two, they come in in droves and they do the work. I am just there as the 411 <laughs> or the 911. The crystal bowls have a beautiful alpha tone that helps elevate our consciousness. It helps work with the mind. The mind works with the body. It relaxes us to a deep state. Um, Tibetan bowls have an harmonic tones and overtones that also help calm the mind. Um, I now play almost 12 instruments. I added a crystal lyre. Um, I've got chimes, steel drum. I just had a very interesting um, experience two days ago in a restaurant. A gentleman came up and he had the hang drum. Have you seen those, Richard? I have not, no. They're about 30 inches wide and you play it with your hands. Just a beautiful sound. Anyhow, I got to do a duet with this young man in a restaurant a few days ago. And so I'm itching to get myself a new drum. It's made out of metal. But um, once you start to allow the sounds to unfold and harmonize, some beautiful things start to happen in your energy field, the auric field, the body, the mind. It is fabulous. One of my mentors I want to mention, anyone really want to do a deep dive on the power of sound frequency, one of my mentors is Fabian Maman, M-A-M-A-N. He has an organization in the U.S. called Tamado.org. Check it out. He has done work healing with sound. He does color therapy. You name it. Um, there's a beautiful instrument called a mon monochord, which is able to um, eradicate all blocks in your energy field. I have been studying sound healing, different practices around the world because I want to understand all the ways we can recalibrate our energy. And so for me, the journey has always been how, what do I bring into this group to allow them to recalibrate and reset their energy system for healing? And so I listen to every body in the group and I, I play what's needed. I never play the same way twice. It is totally intuitively guided. Um, every month I do a soundscape meditation. You can find that out on donjames.ca. All are welcome. I do I do a soundscape meditation once a month. Mm. Mm. I tell you, it's it 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 is extraordinary in my opinion when somebody discovers this aspect of sound and starts to use it. And starts to put it to good use, shall we say? It's quite phenomenal uh, what people are are discovering with sound. Um, my experiences with uh, with music and sound and toning and different things. Uh, I've even, and I'm sure they're out there. I haven't found them yet in terms of really actively looking, but I'm sure that there are, for example, wind chimes that are tuned just so. Oh, yeah. Uh, elemental, yeah. I play uh, Koshi chimes. They're elemental. Um, they're made in France. Uh, there's one for each of the four elements. Um, if you really want to get into, and one of the things that I've always been fascinated with since I started this work is how do we how do we work with the brain, right? Everyone thinks the ears is for listening, but in fact, the ears is like a receptor to the brain. So when you play the right sound frequencies 
you can actually activate different parts of the brain. Uh, there is an organization people can check out called Hemisync. Have you heard of it, Richard? I have not. No. Uh-uh. Please check it out. It's Hemisync. a long word, hemispheric synchronization. It's how to use your whole brain, how to activate dormant parts of your brain so that you begin to synchronize the left and right hemisphere and you're able to use your whole brain. I have been working with their sound frequencies since my kids were children, little kids, because it, it, uh, there are different sound frequencies. For example, if you have trouble sleeping, um, there are sound frequencies to help you relax. There are sound frequencies to help you retain information. There are many different ways we can activate and stimulate parts of the brain. And one way is through binaural beats. So check that out. Mr. Dugan, because <laughs> I know you're going to be going, what? Hemisync? What is she talking about? Hey, so I've heard a lot of, I've heard a lot of wild stuff on this program, at, at least as some people might view it. And uh, matter of fact, Jonathan Goldman told me about a piece of classical music. I have it written down somewhere that just, he says it's great for meditating uh, and so forth. And I have to thank, I wish I could remember her, my, my music teacher's name back in grade school. They introduced a, a program, and this has to do with classical music. They introduced a program into, that, into the coursework in music, in a music class, called the Music Memory Program. The Music Memory Program was designed to not only introduce us to classical music, but also teach us how to listen and memorize a piece, not in terms of the notes, but in terms of recognizing it and being able to name it and the composer. And so they would give us, I think it was, I don't know, five or ten pieces, and we'd listen. And if you got the answers right on the test, you were privileged to attend a concert at a wonderful, wonderful venue called Grady Gamage Auditorium in Tempe, Arizona. It's on the Arizona State University campus. The building was built by Frank Lloyd Wright. The acoustics in that facility are just unbelievable. Well, needless to say, <clears throat> I got sufficient number of answers correct and was able to go to, and those were the some of the pieces they played. So I was introduced probably in fourth or fifth, maybe it's fifth grade, to classical music in that fashion. Although, I also have to credit Warner Brothers for introducing me even earlier than that to classical music through the Bugs Bunny and Warner Brothers cartoons. Yes. And we didn't even realize that's what we were necessarily listening to. <clears throat> and uh, one of the other aspects, too, I would like to talk about, maybe you can talk to us about this. A uh, guru here in Santa Barbara who I've interviewed a number of times, a Swami Vidyadishananda of the Self-Inquiry Life Fellowship, which is a branch off of the, uh, I'll, I'll say the Sri Yukteswar Paramahansa Yogananda tree. Um, we were talking about Sanskrit and how in England, in the schools, they are not trying to resurrect Sanskrit, but they are using it and teaching students how to write it as well as understand it. And what that does is it rewrites the neural pathways, the neural net, if you will, of the brain to greater capacity. Sanskrit is a powerful language. Um, my introduction into Sanskrit came about when I was 
studying. Again, I did a deep dive in sound healing, but I also got into cymatics. Um, Hans Jenny. Hans Jenny was one of the first pioneers of taking metal filings, playing certain sound frequencies, and discovering these Mandela-like patterns in mm. the iron filings. That was Hans Jenny back in a couple hundred years ago. And, you know, there's a YouTube video viral now, but it's like, this is old stuff. Um, <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I was studying cymatics, I kind of, you know, you start looking into one thing and the rabbit hole keeps going. And I came across Sanskrit. One of the things I found very powerful, if you were to make a sound, Richard, if you were to make a sound and capture that sound as a pattern, like Hans Jenny did with iron filings, the sound of the letter, the shape of that sound is the letter in the Sanskrit. So Sanskrit language, the shape of the letters captures the actual sound of the letter that is made. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yes. Oh, yes. After the sound of the letter H in a pictorial way, it would look like the letter H. So what I find very amazing about Sanskrit is they're not writing a language, they are expressing the sound that they're making, which happens to be called a letter, but it's not a letter. It is the expression of sound. And I think that is just a powerful, powerful language. I'm so, uh, I'm really delighted to hear they're teaching it. Um, in some places, but it is very powerful. It well, is the expression of sound captured in a shape. That's what it is. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the, the whole aspect of sound uh, and then the relationship between that and language, because obviously that's how we communicate through the languages and the sounds that we make in those languages. Uh, I have a dear friend who passed away a few years ago. He was Rastafarian and a beautiful man. I, I actually trained him back in the uh, late 1980s uh, to work at a radio station that I was at. And uh, he was very much into reggae. Matter of fact, he did a program on this on a religious station. He did this program called the Reggae Sound System. His name was Dennis Bond and a uh, good friend of mine. And he used to talk to me, and we would talk, and he would talk about how how jaw this and the jaw did that and jaw this and what have you, and it's that ah sound uh, when you think of Allah or God, even though it's not spelled with an A, uh, that sound Yahweh. There's something about that particular sound in reference to the divine that is 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 uh, very interesting amen alleluia and i could go on but i won't <laughs> all about this chakra right We've yes the throat up. chakra always yeah yeah by the way you talked about <clears throat> uh, knowing what you know and don't know and so forth i remember when my i i think my mother introduced me to this book or maybe i just found it when i was searching uh, the bookshelves uh, in the metaphysical department section of a bookstore um it was called Joy's Way, and it had to do with the chakras, but it introduced me to something I was not even aware of. There aren't just the seven chakras from base to crown. There are chakras at the joints of the body, including in the hand. Uh, there are minor chakra points all over the body, which then gets me to wondering 
Well, wouldn't then you maybe consider the entire bo- physical body in this in this case to be, if I may, if I may coin George Bush Senior, a point of light. The whole body is a point of light. We we are very fascinating little beings. Um, <clears throat> what I have come to learn on my wake up call is. We have many, many systems in our bodies. We don't just have a chakra system. Actually, I I talk about this. There was a talk I did a year ago. I call it the systems of light um, and what each one means. We have a meridian system. The meridian system, one of the ancient terms for the meridian is called sikhs, which means rivers of light. A kundalini system along the spine, I call it the sword of light because of what it does cutting through the chakras. We have the wheels of light, which are the chakra systems, right? Yeah. We have seven eyes, which I will not get into today. We'll have to chat another time. Oh, we yes. We have two physical eyes and mm-hmm. we have five spiritual eyes. We have so many, I call this the doorways to light. There's so many systems. We have the aura. Yes. Which shield of light. I call it the shield of light. So we have systems upon systems upon systems of light. And what is light? Information. We have all the answers. We just need to remember how to reconnect. Honestly, we are like an encyclopedia in and of ourselves. If we could only take the time to connect to that, we will be a-okay. It does seem to me, as you describe this, that you're even touching upon uh, this aspect of uh, our Akashic record through that. You talked about us being an encyclopedia, that we have all the information we need. Well, when I've interviewed people about the Akashic records, they it's, it's almost how they describe it. We have everything. Yeah. I mean, that's the message I got, I, and I'm sticking with it. Um, <laughs> like I said, the most the most important thing for me to discover when I woke up was the power of journaling. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm about to um, introduce the world to a course called uh, A Season of Writing to Discover Your Spiritual Self because I want to share how powerful and how healing that experience can be to get us to live in alignment, mind, body, heart, soul, spirit. Because when we're in alignment, we'll know why we're here. We will know why we are here and we'll have a much easier time being here because we will be connected to that higher truth. And that's just, that's how I see things, having walked the path that I have walked Mm. in over half a century. So I'm just saying there's so much, there's so much we can gain and realize from asking ourselves the right questions. And there's so much out there that is... Oh, it's just unbelievable. We want you to go to dawnjames.ca, read Unveiled, or maybe pick up a copy of Why Are We Here, which is an audio book. Congratulations on that. And then there are other books uh, by Don James that we want you to check out. And I cannot believe how prolific you are. It's uh, it's just astounding, according to uh, what I'm seeing here. Um, you, you've written quite a number of, uh, of other books as well, al- along the same lines of many of the subjects that we've touched upon on this program today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Richard. I, as I said, I, I came back to teach. That was the message I got from Spirit, and I continue to teach. Um, I do invite everyone listening to come on down for our virtual 
soundscape meditation. It's offered once a month and it's called Awaken with Sound. So I hope to see you guys mm. online. Thank you, Richard. You are very welcome. You also have uh, your Raise the Vibration series in other languages as well. We encourage folks to to check out the works uh, that you have uh, uh, put out, as well as the audiobooks. Now, just out of curiosity, did you record the audiobook, or did you have a narrator? Why are we here? It's it's my voice. I've recorded that one. It's it's actually the 90 days leading up to my awakening and what I learned from awakening, the four lessons I came back with that day. Um, the other book, Raise the Vibration Between Us, it's all about how to work with karma, how to clear karma, um, how to forgive. I offer four different techniques and how to regain freedom. That was recorded by someone, that audiobook, but it's also in print and ebook. Mm. Raise the vibration between us. It's all about relationships. How to raise the vibration around you is all about your home space. Create a calm, peaceful, enjoyable home space and make sure it's healthy, right? No toxic anything. So I'm a big uh, tree hugger, eco friendly girl. <laughs> I love teaching, and you will continue to see some amazing courses coming out this fall all about getting us aligned, mind, body, heart, soul, spirit. And you'll find out about those by going to dawnjames.ca, D-A-W-N-J-A-M-E-S dot C-A, and uh, look up Unveiled, Autobiography of an Awakened One. And it's it's been a great pleasure to have you, O Awakened One, Don James, on our program today and sharing with us. I have three final questions that I would like to ask you. I ask all of my guests. You may have answered these questions sometime during the interview, but I'd like to ask them directly. Before I do, though, I want to remind our listeners that this program is here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. And then we now have a special edition on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. of Tell Me Your Story, streamed live at all four of those times at richarddugan.com. And the podcasts of all of the programs are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other locations that you folks are reposting us to. And thank you for doing that. We are also on YouTube where you can see and hear. You can see the beautiful painting that is behind uh, our guest today, Dawn James, as well as the wonderful purple that she is wearing there. And uh, also, um, we want you to participate in 2020, the year of perfect, uh, the 2020s, the decade of perfect vision. We've already completed 2020, the year. Now we nine more years of going within. We hope you'll continue beyond that to go within, listen to that still small voice, tap into that encyclopedia, folks. Uh, it's just a font of information uh, for you, about you, uh, and it's there with you at all times. So um, take advantage of it. And also take advantage if you'd like to be a part of this vibration of what we're doing. If this resonates with you, please do what you can to support us financially. Again, I $20, $50, $10, I don't care. Hey, I will take vibrational or energy, okay? Send us good energy. We'll take it and put it to good use, I promise. And there she goes. Dawn is doing that for those of you listening. She is sending us some good energy here. Uh, before we wrap up, of course, the three questions I like to ask all of my guests, folks. And the first of those three is, who is Don James? 
I'm a spiritual being currently on vacation as Don James. (laughs) (laughs) What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I hope to help others on their journey of accepting and loving themselves physically and spiritually. That's our ultimate goal, I believe. Everyone is on a journey to accept and love themselves, but all aspects of you, physically and spiritually. And finally, what is your life's purpose? I would say my physical heart stopped beating and it woke up my spiritual heart. My life's purpose is to live in my heart and everything I do, every decision I make since 2003 is all through my heart. That is my purpose, to live in my heart. Mm. Again, Don James, I thank you so much for joining us, sharing with us your story and unveiled autobiography of An Awakened One. We encourage people to go to your website, donjames.ca, and look forward to having you back to talk more about many of these things, especially uh, when it comes to color and sound and the five eyes that we have. I know of three of them, the two physical eyes and the spiritual eye in the center. Uh, But there are, oh, seven of them. I take that back. Seven. Well, there we go. So we will have you back to talk about those as well as other aspects of our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual bodies and the life that we live here on planet Earth uh, for the betterment of all. Uh, And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to love.